This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment, and this is episode number 20, and I'm calling this episode, How We Got the Bible. Now, if you're joining me for the first time, The Faith Experiment is about putting faith into practice. And so far on the show, I've been sharing with you my own personal journey of faith, how I went from a non-believer to what I call a faith experimenter. Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up some of the details, you can get the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for The Faith Experiment. You can also find The Faith Experiment on all good podcasting platforms, making it super easy for you to keep up to date with every episode of The Faith Experiment. Now, in this episode, I have an e-guide that I've put together, which will have a summary of today's topic. So stick around to get the code word during the show. You need to text that code word to 04-888-45311. So save that number in your phone, 04-888-45311, and wait for today's code word. Now, I've mentioned on the last few episodes of The Faith Experiment that as I've met people and I've shared my story and my experience during this faith experiment, The most common question that I've been asked is, how do I personally study the Bible? And as I've said, even though, uh, look, there's a good question. It's a good question how to study the Bible. It's an important question. But even though it is a good question and it's an important question, I, I kind of feel like this is more of a surface question. And this is because... This question will only ever give you sort of a a surface answer. It will give you a formula, a framework, a pattern or a template. And, you know, to be honest, a lot of people are satisfied with knowing how I personally study the Bible. And so they take that methodology that I use and they put it into practice. And therefore, they somehow think that's going to accomplish um, what they're hoping for in their own study of the Bible. But the problem is, and as I've seen this over the last almost 20 years now, is I've noticed that people who ask the question, how do you study the Bible? And they they get the formula, they get the technique. I've noticed that it doesn't create deep, long-lasting foundations in their own faith experiment for the Bible and its study. And so I proposed on the last two episodes that I want to take a few episodes to explore this topic of Bible study. And I'm going to do it by taking time to dig a little bit deeper. And I want to look at a series of more what I call probing questions on this theme. And I think, I hope, that you will see the Bible in a new and brighter light. And so to recap We looked on the first episode of this little series of how to study the Bible. We looked at what's the actual purpose of the Bible? Because whatever our answer is to this question, it will deeply influence our approach to Bible study. And I I shared that example. If, If you say that the purpose of the Bible is that it's God's word for you, then generally speaking, your attitude towards studying the Bible will be in proportion to what you see your need or your desire to know what God says on something. And so your method of studying the Bible becomes purely a a knowledge-based sort of study. Or if your answer to the question, what's the purpose of the Bible, is that the Bible is God's love letter for us, then generally speaking, I've noticed that people's attitude towards the Bible is that, well, basically, the study of the Bible is in proportion to the need that a person senses that they feel or they need to be reminded of God's love. But if you feel quite loved by God and you feel very content in your relationship, then your study of the Bible will be in proportion to that. And it doesn't really create deep, lung lasting Bible study methods in your life. So again, 
the way we answer these questions and the way we understand these questions of what's the purpose of the Bible impacts how we will actually study the Bible. And look, you can play this same cause and effect game and whatever answer you give to the question, what is the purpose of the Bible, will generally influence your attitude towards studying the Bible. And so in our first episode on this little mini-series of how to study the Bible, we establish that the purpose of the Bible from the Bible's own explanation is that it is for the purpose of testifying of Jesus. In Jesus' own teachings, he said that the Bible is a living, breathing martyr that testifies of me. And then we saw how that Paul explains how this practically works. He says that as you spend time studying the Bible, there are those four lenses through which it reveals Jesus. There was the lens of doctrine, the lens of reproof, the lens of correction, the lens of instruction in righteousness. And through these lenses, we should come to know Jesus intimately. And the ultimate goal of the Bible and the ultimate goal of this witness, this whole purpose of the Bible thing, is summarized in Paul's message to Timothy where he states that through the study of the scriptures, through these four lenses, as they testify or witness of Jesus, it transforms us into complete men and women of God and makes us equipped with every good work. So as we come to the Bible as incomplete children lost and broken and plagued with sin, as we come to the Bible, the living, breathing witness of Jesus, and we pick up its pages, it speaks to us of Jesus through those four lenses of doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. As we spend time, it transforms us, it, it fixes us, it makes us whole and equips us. Then we moved on to exploring the topic of, well, what's the actual anatomy of the Bible? And we saw how that the Bible is not a book, but a collection of books, and that these books are divided into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. One is looking forward to the coming Messiah, and one's looking back at the Messiah. And we looked at how these testaments, or these witnesses, were divided into various categories. We discovered that the Old Testament has 39 books, which are divided into four categories of, of the Pentateuch, and the historical books, and the books of wisdom, and the books of the prophets. And we also saw that the New Testament has 27 books divided into five categories or sections. And this first section, as everyone knows, is the Gospel. It's, it's the teachings of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we move into the history category, dealing with the book of Acts, and then the writings of Paul, known as the Pauline Collection, and then the general epistles, and then that last category of the apocalyptic literature, which is really just a fancy word which means dealing with end-time events. And that section contains only one book, the book of Revelation. And then we also looked at that last part of the anatomy of the Bible, the makeup of chapters and verses. And we found that that as useful as these chapters and verses are, they were never inspired by God, these divisions. And they were really only ever added to help us with referencing portions of the scriptures and to help us index the words in the scriptures. And when it comes to Bible study, remember that we should never allow a chapter or a verse to limit our understanding of the greater context of the passage or the, the letter or the scene or whatever part you're looking at in the Bible. And as we, we wrapped up that section of the anatomy of the Bible, and as we have the backdrop of the purpose of the Bible, we want to move on now to the next section. I want to take up what I see as the next logical question to this journey of how to study the Bible. Now that we understand the purpose of the Bible and how that the Bible has been put together, and the physical anatomy of the testaments, the books, the chapters, and the verses, we're going to turn our attention to this, what I consider to be a fundamental question, which is, how did we actually get this book, which we call the Bible? And to understand this question, we're going to explore a few terms. The first term we're going to look at is the term of revelation. And the second term is 
inspiration, and the third term is profits. Well, it's time now to take a short break, but when we come back, I'm going to take you on the continuation of this journey of how we got the Bible. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word to get today's e-guide on this very topic. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 4 That's 4 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. I don't know about tomorrow I just live from day to day And I don't borrow from the sunshine For its skies may turn to rain And I don't the ending of the rainbow 
listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 20 of The Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode, How We Got the Bible. And coming up on today's show is the code word for an e-guide on today's topic. So in this episode, we're talking about the Bible and the study of the Bible. But as we break this theme down and start looking at the basics of the Bible, and now that we understand what the purpose of the Bible is and how the anatomy of the Bible works and how the construct of the physical book is laid out, we can start specifically looking at how we got the Bible. Now, as I've said, the Bible is a unique book. It's one of the oldest books in the world. And yet, it's still the world's bestseller. It's a product of the ancient Eastern world, but it has molded the modern Western world. We've seen tyrants in history trying to burn the Bible. And we've seen believers revere this book. It's one of the most quoted, most published, most translated, most influential books in the history of mankind. And before the break, I share with you how that this question of how did we get the Bible, in order to understand this, we need to explore these terms, the term of revelation the term of inspiration, and the term of prophets. So let's start by looking at this term, revelation. Now, I'm not talking about the book in the Bible called revelation. I'm talking about the term. So what does this word revelation mean? Well, when we use this term in respect to the Bible, what we're really talking about is what has God revealed about himself. It's the substance of what he's revealed about himself. The word revelation comes from a Greek word, which is apocalypsis, and it literally means to disclose something or unveil something. And so, revelation has to do with disclosing or uncovering or unveiling what was previously hidden. It's making known what has been secret. And so, when theologians use this word revelation, they're referring to God's deliberate manifestation of his plan or his character, himself, or any aspect that God chooses to reveal to the human family. So you can think of revelation as the the information, but the information is generally a, a, a an attribute or a characteristic or a will of God. And so that's what we're talking about when we use this idea of revelation. So everything we know about God has come through God revealing something to us. We don't discover things about God. We can only understand what God has revealed to us. Now, there's two kinds of avenues through which God has taken the initiative to reveal himself. And this is what we generally call a general revelation and a special revelation. These are the two avenues. So, they're both revealing something about God or his will or his character or his purposes, but one is general and one is specific or special. Now, the general revelation deals with things like how God has revealed himself through nature, through providence, through our conscience, which these are things we're not really going to explore here, at least not today, because it's not directly connected to the studying of the Bible. These general revelations are things that any person on planet Earth has the potential to grasp about the revelation of God. But what we want to focus on is the other kind of revelation, and this is what was called the special or the specific revelation. Now, this is a narrower focus than the general revelation, as the name kind of suggests. A special revelation involves various means, but God has chosen to communicate a specific message generally to a specific individual. And by way of contrast, though the general revelation is available to everyone, as in everyone has access to nature and everyone has access to providence and everyone has a conscience, with special revelation, 
it's really only available to those who have access to what we would call a biblical truth. It's the information that God has chosen to specifically spell out to a specific purpose, uh, per people at a specific time for a specific purpose. Now, think about this, for example. In the Greek New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 1 and in verse 1, we're told this. It says, God spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many different ways. So, in this passage, what we're seeing is, is that the avenues of special revelation that God has used include various different ways. And when we look at the, the entirety of Scripture, we find things like God communicated specifically, he revealed his will specifically through things like the casting of lots. Again, not a general way, not everyone walks around with lots in their pockets and they pull it out to find out God's will, but in specific cases, God used the casting of lots to reveal his way, the chosen way. Another specific revelation that God used or method that God used was the Umar and Thuman. And these were two precious stones that were placed on the breastplate of the high priest during the time of the earthly sanctuary. And sometimes to determine the will of God, why they would ask a question and one of the stones would glow for a yes and the other would glow for a no. But they were only ever used in very specific cases and they revealed very specific revelations of God. And not everybody had access to this. If, for example, if you wanted to know whether you should marry this girl or that girl, you didn't have access to go and ask the question of the high priest and all of a sudden you get the green light or the red light. And it was a very specific revelation. But nonetheless, God chose this avenue to reveal his purpose at a specific time. So special revelations have also been given through dreams and visions. God has used dreams to communicate with various people at various times in both the Old and New Testament. For example, God gave dreams to people like Pharaoh, to King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. He also gave dreams to Mary and Joseph and Peter and Paul in the New Testament. And then there were visions that were given to many of what we would call today the prophets, where they're carried away to different times and places and showing things like they were right there. Like, for example, Daniel saw things like that. John saw things like that. Isaiah, Ezekiel. And again, these were very specific or special revelations given at specific times. And not everyone that has a dream or a vision is necessarily to be communicated by God, but God has chosen to use that method in some instances. And God has also revealed things th through audible voices, like the calling of Samuel in the Old Testament, where he specifically audibly called him by name. Or with Saul on the road to Damascus, he heard God speaking directly to him. God's also revealed himself through angels passing on messages, through prophets, and then ultimately through Jesus Christ himself. You see, the Bible says in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says that the prophecy never came by the will of men. But holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. And this process of human beings being moved by the Holy Spirit and the information that they're given as they're being moved is what we refer to as the specific or the special revelation. This is how God reveals himself to a member of the human family, whether it's by dreams or visions or audible voices or by Jesus Christ himself. It's done via the moving of the Holy Spirit upon a human agent. Now, the revelation of God is deeply rooted in our human history. We find each time God encounters with a human, 
we gain another insight into either who God is or what he is like or what his will is, what his displeasures are. We gain this little more little piece of the puzzle of this revelation, this information. For example, in the book of Genesis, we find that God reveals himself to Adam at creation. He reveals his role and his function as God being a creator. He created everything. We get that little snippet of revelation. But then we find another revelation after Adam and Eve sin, when God comes down and talks to Adam and Eve in the garden. This revelation reveals us something more about who and what God is like. He's not just a creator. He also cares. He also wants there to be a solution to this problem that his children are in. So we, we're getting with each interaction more and more insight into the nature of God, his, his will, his purposes, his desires, and so on. And each of these interactions are little snippets of revelation. We see later in history that God reveals more of himself to humanity and encounters with people like Noah at the time of the flood. We gain more insight into who and what God is. We gain more insight in the interactions with Abraham or with Job or with Moses, with Daniel and with every other human author of scripture. Each time there's a little bit more of this revelation revealed and this is building up over time in a progressive nature. Now, what's interesting is that with each of these revelations, even though they're different, they're progressive. Like, for example, the Apostle Paul makes a distinction between what has been revealed in the past as to what is revealed in his present. For example, in Romans chapter 16 and verse 25, he says this, Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ... According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. So Paul's making the point here that there has been a, a, a revelation, there's been this information of Jesus Christ which has been kept secret, but it's being revealed now in the time of Jesus Christ. And so this progressive revelation means that God did not unfold his entire plan or his entire character or his entire will in the book of Genesis, or for that matter, in the entire Old Testament. The Old Testament revelation, even though it's accurate, it's incomplete. The same way that what Adam had a complete picture of God, that complete picture that he had was still insignificant compared to the complete picture that the apostles had based on what Jesus Christ revealed. And so the fullness and certain teachings cannot be found in just one book or one testament of the Bible. We need the entirety of Scripture to look at the progressive revelation that is increasing and increasing and increasing with information. For example, the Old Testament tells us that we should expect the prophet Elijah before the second coming. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You see, it's important to note that when, when the prophecy is made in the last book of the Old Testament, it's, in, it's implying that there's still more information to come. There's still more revelation to come, and we find that even in Jesus' day, Jesus was quoting this book of Malachi and almost implying like it had a partial fulfillment in his day, but it still had a future fulfillment. So this revelation idea of Jesus Christ 
that he came to show, it's a progression of what was started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And so when we look at the Bible, when we look at any book or any verse or, or any chapter within any verse, what we're finding are pieces of a revelation. And it's only as we start putting all the pieces together as we study the Bible, we get a more and more complete picture of the revelation of God. And so the scriptures are testifying to a progression of God's revelation of himself to humanity. It's clear that he didn't reveal the fullness of his truth in the beginning. Yet what he has revealed is always true. And each portion of the scripture was built on the basis of the previous revelation. And so in a sense, building a more and more complete picture of the revelation of God over time. Well, let's take a short break now. But when we come back, I'm going to continue exploring today's topic of how did we get the Bible. Don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for today's e-guide. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. Give me the Bible, star of gladness gleaming To cheer the wonder, lone and tempest-tossed No storm can hide that peaceful radiance beaming Since Jesus came to seek and save the lost Give me the Bible, holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way Precept and promise, law and love combining Till night shall vanish in eternal day Give me the Bible when my heart is broken When sin and grief have filled my soul with fear Give me the precious words by Jesus spoken Hold up faith's lamp to show my Savior dear Give me the Bible, holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way Accept and promise, law and love combining Till night shall vanish in eternal day to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 20 of The Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode, How We Got the Bible. And coming up is today's code word for today's e-guide on today's topic of how we got the Bible. And before the break, we were exploring this term of revelation, 
We saw how that revelation is the term given to what God has revealed about himself or about his will for mankind. And we saw that there were two types of revelation, a general revelation and a specific or special revelation. Now, the general revelation is what God has given accessibility to everybody, which comes from things like nature. It reveals attributes and characteristics of God or the human conscience, which has the ability of knowing its innate sense of right and wrong. But for the sake of Bible study, we're exploring more specifically the special revelation of God. And we saw how that there are a number of different ways that God has specifically revealed himself and his will. And he's done that through various different examples, through dreams and visions, through the prophets, and ultimately through Jesus Christ. Now, revelation is what God has chosen to reveal about himself or about his will. And it's important to remember that as we look at the history of God's revelation to the human race, it's always been progressive, meaning that each time God's revealing something that's adding to what's already been revealed. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, when he reveals of himself that he is the creator, nowhere in the history of the future revelations does he contradict that foundational principle of his character. As equally, when we get to things like the commandment says that thou shalt not kill, nowhere else does anything contradict that. And so the revelations are progressive. They build upon each and every instance that God has had with the human author or messenger. And so over time, we're getting a more and more complete picture of who God is and what he is like. Now, we're going to move on to the second term that we need to understand to answer this question, well, how did we actually get the Bible? We know the Bible is basically made up of a collection of revelations, but the next label or next term we need to understand is inspiration. Now, inspiration can be summarized this way. Inspiration is how God has revealed himself to mankind. So whereas revelation is the information God has revealed, inspiration is how God has revealed himself. And the Apostle Paul tells us, he says that all Scripture, that's the revelations, that's the Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And this word inspiration has the literal idea that the Scriptures are God-breathed. And so when we understand that God, through the Holy Spirit, has inspired a human agent with the revelation, that's the information, that's the message, they then use their own culture, their own language, their own experiences to write down that revelation that they have received. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Peter tells us, knowing this first, that no prophecy, that's a revelation, so no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, because... Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved, that's inspired, by the Holy Spirit. So again, here is evidence that the Bible was written as holy men and women of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They wrote down what was revealed by God to their minds, and they wrote it as they were being moved being 
really carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is this word that uh, Paul has chosen to use here, being moved by the Holy Spirit, is actually the same word that's used in the book of Acts in chapter 27 when it describes the wind moving a sailboat across the ocean. It's the same idea. So literally the Holy Spirit, in through this idea of inspiration, is moving the human with this revelation and compelling this human to communicate the revelation. And so literally this idea is that the scripture contains God's revelation that he is given through a person as the Holy Spirit has literally moved this human agent. And it's this revelation that ultimately becomes the words in ideas, in imagery that we find in the pages of scripture. So when you pick up the Bible and you look at any portion of the Bible, what you read there in your own language is a representation of what these human minds have been inspired with when they were moved by the Holy Spirit under the inspiration of these revelations. Now, it sounds more complicated than it really is. I mean, we are talking about a divine and human connection here. So it is it is supernatural for sure. But it's very fascinating that when we pick up the Bible, we're reading impressions, inspirations. Now, let me explain how this all works together. There's something very important to understand here. I find that many people have questions on how the actual words on our pages of the Bible today, how they came about. Some ask the question, are these the literal words that the Holy Spirit told these men and women of God to write down and to communicate? Now, it's important to understand this question because this impacts how we study the Bible. We've already seen that the Bible claims that its purpose is to serve as a witness of Jesus. So it's communicating something, revealing something about Jesus. And we've seen that the Bible has been given as a source of doctrines, that's teaching. And the Bible has also been given to act as a corrector and a reprover and an instructor in right living. And All of these come from these words that we have written on these pages. And the question is, are these the actual words that we have that God impressed the human mind to write out and basically take control of the arm to communicate it through their, their pens? There are quite a few different examples of how this inspirational process works. There are examples where the inspiration of the revelation literally resulted in oral communication. For example, in the Garden of Eden, Adam is just told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wasn't handed some manuscript with some instruction. It was literally just an oral revelation from God to humanity. And then there's the story of Noah. God speaks to Noah and reveals his will and his plan to Noah. Then Noah turns around and communicates what he's received, that's the revelation, And when he communicates it, again, it's just oral. And then you could say there's a physical form when he's building the boat. When we come to Abraham, Abraham receives revelations from God, which again would be oral. And he was instructed to teach his descendants, again, orally. So the inspiration was there were direct words that were given to communicate. And then we find other revelations that were given through inspiration, which were specifically given to be written down and passed on to a wider audience. These are your more traditional stories like the writings of Jeremiah or Moses or Ezekiel or Isaiah, where they're given a message to write down to pass on. And when it comes down to the actual writing down of a revelation through inspiration, we find some more specific examples in the Bible of how this process actually works. For example, the disciple John 
when he receives the book of Revelation, we're told in Revelation chapter 119, he's told to write what you have seen, to write what you have seen. Now, this is very interesting and an important phrase. He's not told to write what he has heard, but he's told to write what he has seen. Now, this is why in the book of Revelation, we start to see a lot of expressions that sound like this. It says, and I saw, and then he says, and it was something like, or he showed me, and he says things like, and it had the appearance of. This language means that the human author who was inspired at the time to communicate the revelation, he wasn't given the specific words. He was shown something and then told, write down what you have seen. And as he does this, as John writes down what he has seen, he writes things down based on the language he had available to him, the experiences he had um, been through already, perhaps even the education that he's been through, the imagery from Old Testament, and he brings these things together to try and communicate the picture that he is seeing. So, what does this mean for Bible study? It means that we don't believe, as Christians, in a verbal inspiration of the Bible. Now, there are definitely parts of the Bible where it specifically says, um, write down this, and we're given a phrase to write down. But the majority of the Bible, it's given as, here is a scene, write down what do you see. For example, in one scene in Jeremiah, God says, what do you see, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah says, I, I see a, a bowl on a fire burning. And then he says, and, and what direction do you see? And so it's more or less the human author is placed in a context, in a vision, in, a, in maybe a different time or different place, and they are expected to communicate with their own limitations of language, their own limitations of culture, their own limitations of time to communicate what they have seen. And so what does this mean for Bible study? It means that we need to understand the thoughts of what the author is communicating or trying to communicate to capture the essence of what God has revealed. And so what does this mean for Bible study? It means that we need to understand the thoughts of what the author is communicating or trying to communicate to capture an essence of what God has revealed. Now, what does this practically look like? Well, it means we need to understand the culture and the time of the writer. For example, if we're studying, say, from the book of Ezekiel, we would need to understand what certain imagery or language meant to Ezekiel at the time that he wrote it. What did these words mean, these phrases mean, these pictures what did they communicate in his time? Because he's chosen to use these expressions to communicate the idea that he has received in this revelation. Now, some of you might be saying, Robbie, you got to be kidding me. You expect us to try and understand how what an image represented more than 3,000 years ago? How is that even possible? How is it even possible to understand what words or pictures and thoughts and imagery meant to somebody, say, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago? Well, believe it or not, there are actually hundreds of books on this very topic. You can find books out there with titles like this, Everyday Life in Bible Times. These are books that go back and they use archaeology, they use cultural documents to understand what scenes represented, what words represented, what images represented. And when you understand that this was at the same time as a certain biblical author, it gives you insight into how the Bible would have been constructed 
and how what it would have meant at the time that it was written. You also find other books like uh, a good one is called The Life in the New Testament Times. Same story. It's what did some of these symbols and imagery and these concepts and these sayings that Jesus used in his teachings, what did they actually mean to the hearer in his day? Because what it meant to the hearer in his day is the message of the revelation. And sometimes we can put a 21st century take on some of these expressions that Jesus uses or any Bible author uses, and we misapply the meaning of it into our context, not understanding what the original intent was. Another great resource is what we call Bible dictionaries. These are exactly as they sound. They're dictionaries of all the things in the Bible. There are numerous resources that can help you understand exactly what life was like at the time when many of these authors were called to write down through inspiration, these revelations of God. And they greatly bring to life what the original message was of these revelations to the original audience. And from that observation, we gain so much insight into what the point of the story is, what the point of the lesson is, what the point of the correction or reproving is for our own lives, even in a different time and even in a different context. Well, it's time once again to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll continue with how we got the Bible. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for the e-guide on today's topic. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888-45311. That's 04888-45311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. Marvelous, wonderful, infinite God Author of all that is good Faithful provider and giver of life Source of all power and love Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise Refuge of strength to the
shepherd who comes for the lost Rock of salvation, remarkable love Savior who died on the cross Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise Refuge of strength to the Listening to the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 20 of the Faith Experiment. And I'm calling this episode How We Got the Bible. And coming up is today's code word for the e-guide on today's topic. And before the break, I was sharing with you how in exploring this topic of how we got the Bible. There are those three terms we need to be familiar with. The term of revelation. The second term is inspiration. And now this all brings us to our third term that we're trying to grasp in order to put together how we got the Bible. And that term is the prophets. This is the label or the title that we give to somebody who has been moved by the Holy Spirit under inspiration to receive a revelation. And the meaning of this word prophet is very interesting. In the original languages, it literally means a spokesman, a speaker, or one who's moved by the Spirit of God and is God's organ or spokesman. So a prophet is literally the human instrument, the mouth organ, which God uses to communicate his revelation to the human family. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of a mouth organ. Some of us call them harmonicas. But a mouth organ has a range of notes that can be sounded, provided that the wind is put through the right reed and the the certain sounds are generated. Well, the way the Bible uses these terms and words, the allegory of a harmonica fits really well, actually. You, You can think of a harmonica as the human prophet. You can think of the wind or the breath that flows through the mouth into the harmonica as the Holy Spirit's inspiration. And you can think of the song or the tune that's in the mind of the person breathing as the revelation or the message that God wants to communicate. And interesting that it's just as there's different harmonicas, they all have slightly different sounds or different pitches or different ranges. So too does the human agent, which God chooses to communicate the specific message for the specific time. And so the revelation or the message starts in the mind of God The Holy Spirit acts as the mover. It's the breath. That's the thing that inspires. And then you have the prophet that provides the sound based on his own experiences, his own culture, his own time, his own day. And so the prophet is literally an instrument of God to communicate a message, the message which is the revelation that God chooses to give to the human family. Now, because the prophets were so influential, because they were literally seen as the mouthpiece of God, it's not surprising that early on in human history, false prophets started to appear, pretending to be God's messengers in order to gain support for their own ambitions, for power or authority or some kind of personal advancement. 
And to be honest, not much has changed over the course of time, even down to our own time. I mean, right now in 2020, there's a bunch of people claiming to be prophets all running around with that title before their name. I mean, Facebook is full of them. YouTube is full of them. And unfortunately, many people fall for their claims. Now, we shouldn't be surprised by this fact that we've got false prophets running around because even Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 24 that there would be false prophets all the way right down to the end of time. Now, the implication is that if there's going to be false prophets, there will also be true prophets right down to the end of time. Now, because of this, because there were and are and probably will be false prophets and true prophets, God has given clear instructions to his people to examine the credentials of all who claim to be prophets because they're claiming to be mouthpieces or mouth organs or spokesmen for God. And so God gives in the scriptures what today we would call the tests of a prophet. And so there's a handful of these tests, and a person who claims to be a prophet, a messenger from God, has to tick all of these boxes. For example, if we start off the list, God has chosen, according to the scriptures, to reveal his revelations to prophets via dreams and visions. We find in Numbers chapter 12, it says, he said, now hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision and a dream. I will speak to him. In a dream. We also find that prophets will make predictions, and those predictions, if they're true prophets, must come to pass 100% accurately every time. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22, God says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So the Bible is saying that prophets, if they're speaking on God's behalf, it will always come to pass. And in Jeremiah 28 verse 9 it says, As the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. So we're expecting 100% accuracy because it's coming from, well, obviously God. If it's not 100% accurate, then clearly it's not God because God claims to know the beginning from the end. We also find that a true prophet will be faithful to all the previously revealed revelations of God, and they will lead us to the Bible and to the law of God. This is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. It says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dream, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he has spoken to you, Then says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet. The Lord God, your God, is testing you to whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And so you have these prophets, according to this passage, that are coming along. They're saying they've got visions, they're having dreams, and they're predicting things. And it comes to pass, but then they lead you away from the commandments of God. The Bible's saying this is not a true prophet. We also find in Micah chapter 3, verse 5, we're told how a true prophet will point 
out our sin. We found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, that we're told that a true prophet will always edify or build up the church. We also find that the message of a true prophet will always be in harmony with the whole Bible and will always uplift God's commandments. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, it says, To the law, that's the law of God, and to the testimony, that's the word of the prophets, that's the Old Testament. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. No matter how good these prophets appear, how well they sing, how great they dance, if what they're saying is not in harmony with the law of God or the rest of Scripture, the Bible says there's no light in these people. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the thing which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. We also find that true prophets exalt Jesus. The disciple John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. We also find that prophets are to have spiritual fruitage. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. So based on these texts, it's obvious that not everyone who prophesies today is a prophet of God. A true prophet's life and mission will be in harmony with God and what he has already revealed, these revelations that make up the Bible. A true prophet will always point to Jesus and to his law and to the rest of his prophets. So, how do we actually get the Bible then? We've talked about these three terms of revelation, inspiration, and prophets. It starts with God having something that he wants to communicate to the human family. This is the revelation. And this revelation is somewhat taken by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And he takes this this revelation and then he inspires or breathes into the mind of the human mouthpiece who is called the prophet. And then under this inspiration, these prophets, they either communicated that revelation orally. They just spoke out what they were told. But in most cases, they were inspired to write down this revelation that they received under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And it's these inspired revelations that we call today the different books of the Bible. And just like the musician who has that that song in his mind that he wants to communicate, he uses the wind of his breath to blow through the reeds of the harmonica to create a sound and to communicate a message. That is exactly the process of how God's mind gives that revelation through the Holy Spirit, through inspiration into the human mind. And that is how we got the Bible. And so the question for us today in 2021 is, is what does this have to do with our study of the Bible? Why is it important to understand the process of revelation and inspiration and the prophets? Well, as we've seen, it's important to recognize that God doesn't dictate words down to these human authors. He shows them things and they communicate it through their language and culture and experiences. And so what this means for us today as Bible students is that we should always seek to understand what did this portion of the Bible, whatever portion it is, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter, whichever portion of the Bible you are reading, the first question is, what did this message mean to the original audience? And to understand how to answer that question, we need to go and look at the culture of the author. We need to understand what's the significance of the language that's been chosen for that author or for that audience. And how did that message 
apply to their time? And when I understand the answer to those questions, it greatly impacts my application to that scripture in my life in this time period. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show today, I have this great e-guide that I've put together on this topic. If you'd like to get your free copy of this e-guide, all you need to do is to text today's code word, hash FE20, hash FE20, to 04888 453811. And the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply to you asking you for some details. So text the code word hash FE20. That's the hash symbol or the pound symbol followed by FE as in faith experiment and the number 20 as in episode 20. With no spaces, just hash FE20. Text that to 0488-45311 and the Faith FM bot will send you a link to today's e-guide. Now it's time for this week's inbox. This is when I browse through the inbox and share your comments, feedback, and questions. Well, my inbox has been flooded with messages of congratulations and best wishes for the birth of our baby daughter. So I just want to thank every one of you who took the time to send those messages to through to me. I really do appreciate it. And little girl's doing very well. She's growing every day, and uh, we are getting into routine now with our sleep. My wife's doing a fantastic job, and my uh, my son is enjoying being a big brother or the first time. So thank you very much for all of your best wishes and your congratulations. Well, next time on The Faith Experiment, we're going to continue exploring this idea of Bible study, what it is, how it works, and a whole lot more. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 0488 453 That's 0488 453 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.